I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, basement secrets. I uh, got a basement with a house that's over a hundred years old. And um, somebody put up drywall in this basement because the walls are too terrifying. The original walls are some kind of weird, uh, I want to say the word shale, even though I don't think that's right. Uh, and then somebody put up cinder block in front of it to make it seem a little more presentable, a little less uh, creepy, like a serial killer's basement. And then they put up drywall in front of that, for the most part, in most places. Um, and that's fine, except that there's a lot of uh, dead things behind the wall. I mean, you got layers there of things dying. Until recently, there was a giant gaping hole in the side of my house, and all sorts of animals and stuff would come in, and so uh, there's a lot, I'm sure, that I would never, ever want to see if I tore down these walls. But it's neither here nor there. The point is, you may hear my three-year-old cat mewing mournfully uh, upstairs because I won't let him down here anymore. I was letting him down here because a whole new world opens up to him. Boys is exciting. A whole section of the house he's never been allowed into. I knew he was going to get, uh, because the drywall's kind of haphazard, there's big gaps. He's going to get back there and walk around, and that's fine, whatever. He's a cat. Uh, I got some mouse traps, but they're protected in a way where cats can't get caught in them, and so I was like, ah, this will all be fine. Well, this morning, I was sitting at my dining room table, computing, and suddenly the little cat's playing with something on the floor. Ah, ha, ha, isn't that cute? And it sounds like something that's kind of hard plastic, and he's batting it around. I look at it, and I'm like, what the heck is that plastic thing he's hitting? And it's kind of misshaped, uh, weird. And I look, and it's a petrified mouse. He grabbed a petrified mouse, brought it all the way upstairs, and apparently been chewing on it through the night. Uh, and there's little mouse parts all around my living room carpet. Boy, was that disgusting. Uh, tried not to throw up genuinely, and I uh, got the petrified mouse in the garbage. Then I see all the little mouse parts he's chewing on, and I said, oh, God, and so I had to go vacuum all that up. Then I had to purify the rest of my house to make sure that there's none of that disgusting stuff anywhere to be found. I vacuumed everywhere, wiped, oh, God, it was just horrible. So, basement secrets. I mean, there's a Hustler magazine from 1987 uh, down here that I found up in the drop ceiling. So, previous owner, at some point in the 80s, uh, was getting lonely down in the basement and wasn't creeped out. Uh, as far as getting lonely, this is the last place that I'd want to get lonely, but apparently back in 1987, your options were limited. Uh, so that wasn't horrifying to find. It was actually kind of delightful. Uh, charming. Ah, back when I was in seventh grade, this person, that's what women look like. But, dead animals, oh, God. So, with that... Uh, let's dive into the next few chapters of uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer.
Well, let's learn a little about the author, shall we? Uh, did you know that uh, a small supporting character became the hero in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, published in 1885, which has been called the first, quote, great American novel? Oh, that's weird. I guess I should probably read that next, huh? Do you know that four of his books were published after his death? Ah, Mark Twain's autobiography, Mark Twain's notebook, Letters from the Earth, and Queen Victoria's Jubilee. Not as interesting as uh, whatthefact.com. Let's go over there. Uh, What do we got here? Interesting facts about Paul Newman. Number one, ah, he was the sexy celebrity. In the year... 1995, he was ranked as the 12th sexiest celebrity out of 100 actors in the, quote, 100 sexiest stars in film history. This ranking was created by Empire Magazine. His piercing blue eyes had become irresistible for the women. <laughs> that was starting to seem too, too normally written, but you had to get to the end. Become irresistible for the women. Burnt, sux- uh, burnt tuxedo. Paul Newman was a true... Was... A true oppose of formality. <laughs> right off the bat. In an act of protest against, quote, formality, he even elected to burn his tuxedo during his 75th birthday. Ah, let's just read one more. I love Paul Newman. Newman's salad. For all the ladies who are determined on becoming thin must go through the salad dressings of Newman. <laughs> For all the ladies who are determined on becoming thin must go through the salad dressings of Newman. (laughs) They were so popular that in his 50s, Paul Newman launched a line of food products called Newman's Own. Ooh, I'm bookmarking that one. I'm going to have to pick that one up on the uh, next episode. Well, with that, let's, uh, let's get into chapters 17 and 18. Chapter 17. But there was no hilarity in the little town at the same tranquil Saturday afternoon. The Harpers and Aunt Polly's family were being put into mourning. With great grief and many tears, an unusual quiet possessed the village, although it was ordinarily quiet enough in all conscience. Uh, the villagers conducted their concerns with an absent air and talked little. Oh, but they sighed often. The Saturday holidays seemed a burden to the children. They had no heart in their sports and gradually gave them up. In the afternoon, Becky Thatcher found herself uh, moping about the deserted schoolyard house uh, and a feeling very melancholy. But she found nothing there uh, to comfort her, so she soliloquized. Oh, if I only had a brass Andrian knob again. But I haven't got anything now to remember him by and she choked back the little sob. Presently, she stopped and said to herself, It was right here. Oh, if it was to do over again, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that for the whole world, but he's gone now. I'll never, never, never see him anymore. This thought broke her down, and she wandered away with tears rolling down her cheeks when... Quite a uh, group of boys and girls, playmates of Tom's and Joe's, came by and stood looking over the paling fence and talking in reverent tones of how Tom did so-and-so the last time that they saw him, and how Joe uh, said this and that, small trifle, uh, in parentheses, pregnant with 
awful prophecy, as they could easily see now. And each speaker pointed out the exact spot where the lost lads stood at the time, and then added something like, Ah, and I was standing just so, uh, just as I am uh, uh, now. And as if you were him, I was as close as that. Ah, and he smiled just this way, and then something seemed to go all over me, like awful, you know. And I never thought what it meant, of course, uh, but I could see it now. Then there was a dispute about who uh, saw the dead boys last in life, and many claimed that dismal distinction and offered uh, evidences more or less tampered with by witness. And, and when it was ultimately decided who did see the departed last uh, and exchanged the last words with them, now nah, the lucky parties took it upon themselves a sort of sacred importance and were gaped at and envied by all the rest. Uh, one poor chap, uh, who had no other grandeur to offer, said with tolerable manifest pride in his remembrance, uh, Well, Tom Sawyer, he licked me once. <laughs> but that bid for glory was a failure. And most of the boys would say that, and so that cheapened the distinction too much. The group loitered away, still recalling memories of lost heroes and odd voices. When the Sunday school hour was finished, uh, the next morning, the bell began to toll. Instead of ringing in the usual way, it was... Uh, a very still Sabbath, and the mournful sound seemed in keeping with the musing hush that lay upon nature. The villagers began to gather, loitering moment in vestibule to converse in whispers about the sad event, uh, but there was no whispering in the house, only the funeral uh, rustling of dresses as the women gathered to their seats disturbed uh, the silence there. None could remember uh, when the little church had been so full before. Now there was finally a waiting pause and expected dumbness, uh, and then Aunt Polly entered, followed by Sid and Mary, and they, by the Harper family, all in deep black and the whole congregation, uh, the old minister as well, rose reverently and stood until the mourners were seated in the front pew. There was another commuting silence, broken at intervals by muffled sobs, and then the minister spread his hands abroad and prayed, a moving hymn was sung, and the text followed, I am the resurrection and the life. As the service proceeded, uh, the clergyman drew such pictures of the graces, the uh, winning ways, uh, the rare promise of the lost lads, that every soul there, thinking he recognized these pictures, felt a pang in remembering that he had persistently blinded himself to them, always before, and had as persistently seen only faults and flaws in the poor boys. Ah, the minister related many a touching incident in the lives of the departed, too, which illustrated their sweet, generous natures. And the people could easily see now how noble and beautiful those episodes were, and remembered with grief that at the time they occurred it had seemed rank rascalities. Rascalities. That's actually, I'm pronouncing that correctly. A mischievous or cheeky person or child typically used in an affectionate way. All right, fine. Well-deserving of the cowhide. The congregation became more and more moved as the pathetic tale went on, till at last the whole company broke down and joined the weeping mourners in a chorus of anguished sobs. The preacher himself giving way to his feelings and crying in the pulpit. There was a rustle in the gallery, which nobody noticed. A moment later, the church door creaked. Ah, the minister raised his streaming eyes above the handkerchief and stood transfixed. 
First one and then another pair of eyes followed the ministers, and then almost with one impulse the congregation rose and stared while the three dead boys came marching up the aisle. Tom in the lead, Joe next, and Huck. A ruin of drooping rags, sneaking sheepishly in the rear. They had been hid in the unused gallery, listening to their own funeral sermon. Aunt Polly and the Harpers threw themselves upon their restored ones, smothered them with kisses, and poured out thanksgivings, while poor Huck stood abashed and uncomfortable. Not knowing exactly what to do or where to hide from so many unwelcoming eyes, he wavered and started to slink away, but Tom seized him and said, Aunt Polly, it ain't fair. Someone's got to be glad to see Huck. And so they shall. I'm glad to see him, poor motherless thing. <laughs> well, that sounds insulting as hell. And the loving attentions Aunt Polly lavished upon him were the one thing capable of making him more uncomfortable than he was before. Suddenly, the minister shouted at the top of his voice, Praise God, uh, from whom all blessings flow. Uh, sing, put your hearts in it. Oh, and they did. Old hundreds swelled up with a triumphant burst. And while it shook the rafters, Tom Sawyer, the pirate, looked around upon the envying juveniles about him and confessed in his heart that this was the proudest moment of his life. As the, quote, sold congregation trooped out, uh, they said that they would almost be willing to be made ridiculous again to hear old hundreds sing like that once more. Tom got more cuffs and kisses uh, that day, according to Polly's varying moods, than he had earned uh, before in a year, and he hardly knew which expressed the most gratefulness to God, the affection for himself. Oh, well, that was really good. And really well written. Ah, see, that's the reason why they have the Mark Twain Prize, because uh, he's a a good writer uh, when he's not saying racist things. Chapter 18. That was Tom's greatest secret. The scheme to return home with his brother's pirate. Oh, so now they're telling us what the secret is. I was, I had to go back and reread it to make sure I didn't miss something. But okay, here we go. Now we're going to learn the secret. That was Tom's greatest secret, the scheme to return home with his brother pirates and attend their own funerals. They had paddled over to the Missouri shore on a log (laughs) at dusk on Saturday, landing five or six miles below the village. They had slept in the woods at the edge of town till nearly daylight and then had crept through black lanes and alleys and finished their sleep in the gallery of the church among the chaos of invalidated benches. All right. At breakfast, Monday morning, Aunt Polly and Mary were very loving to Tom and very attentive to his wants. There was an unusual amount of talk in the course of it. Aunt Polly said, Well, I don't say it wasn't a fine joke, Tom, to keep everybody suffering most of a week so you boys had a good time, but it is a pity you could be so hard-hearted as to let me suffer so. If you could come over on a log to go, he told her the truth, to go to your funeral, uh, you could have come over here and give me a hint some way that you weren't dead, but only run off. Yes, but you could have done that, Tom, said Mary, and I believe you would if you had thought of it. Uh, Would you, Tom, said Aunt Polly, her face... Uh, lighting wistfully. Say now, uh, would you, if you thought of it? I, well, I don't know. Twould a spoiled everything. Tom, I hoped you'd love me that much, said Aunt Polly with a grieved tone that discomforted the boy. It would have been something if you cared enough to think of it. 
even if you didn't do it. Now, Auntie, that ain't any harm, pleaded Mary. It's only Tom's giddy way uh, that is always in such a rush that he never thinks of anything. Now, more's the pity Sid would have thought, and Sid would have come and done it too. Tom, you'll look back someday when it's too late and wish you'd cared a little more for me. Uh, but that would have cost you so little. Now, Auntie, you know I do care for you, said Tom. I'd know it better if you acted more like it. I wished now I'd thought, said Tom, with a repentant tone, but I dreamt about you anyway. That's something, ain't it? No, it ain't much. A cat does that much, but it's better than nothing. Which dream? Why, Wednesday night I dreamt that you was sitting over there by the bed, and Sid sitting by the wood box and Mary next to him. Well, so we did. So we always do. I'm glad your dreams could... Take even that much trouble about us. Then I dreamt that Joe Harper's mother was there. Why, she was there. Did you dream any more? Oh, lots. Ah, uh, but it's dim now. Uh, you try to recollect, can't you? Uh, somehow it's, it seems to me that the, the wind, uh, the wind blowed. The, the, try harder, Tom. The wind did blow something. Come. Tom pressed his fingers to his forehead. An anxious minute, and then he said, no, I've got it now. I got it now. Uh, it blowed the candle. Mercy on us. Go on, Tom, go on. And it seemed to me that you said, Why, I believe at the door. Go on, Tom. Just let me study a moment. Uh, just, uh, just a moment. Ah, uh, uh, yes, uh, you said you believe the door was open. As I'm sitting here, I did, didn't I, Mary? Uh, oh, go on. And then, uh, uh, and then, uh, well, I won't be certain, but it seems like as if you, if you made Sid go and, uh, and, well... Well, what did I make him do, Tom? What did I make him do? Oh, you made him, you, oh, you made him shut it. Well, for the land's sake, I never heard a beat of that in all my days. Don't tell me there ain't something in dreams anymore. Serenity Harper, how shall of this, oh, Serenity Harper shall know of this. I screwed that whole thing up. Uh, before I'm an hour older, I'd like to get uh, her around this with her rubbish about superstition. Go on, Tom. Oh, oh, it's all getting just as bright as day now. Next, you said I, I weren't bad, only mischievous and uh, harum scarum. And not any more uh, responsible than, than I think it was a cult or something? And so it was. Well, goodness gracious, go on, Tom. And then uh, uh, mm, uh, mm, you began to cry. So I did, so I did. Not the first time, neither. Uh, and then, oh, then Miss Harper began to cry and said that Joe was just the same. And she wished that she hadn't whipped him for taking cream when she'd thrown it out her own self. Tom, the spirit was upon you. You was a prophesizing. That's what you was doing. Land alive. Go on, Tom. And then Sid said, uh, uh, he said, I don't think I said anything, said Sid. Oh, yeah, yes, you did, Sid, said Mary. Shut your hands, your heads, and let Tom go on. What'd he say, Tom? He said, I think, he said, uh, he hoped I was better off where I was gone to, but if I'd been better sometimes. There, did you hear that? It was his very words. And you shut him up, sharp. I lay I did. There must have been an angel there. There was an angel there. Somewheres. 
And Miss Harper told about Joe scaring her with a firecracker and how hey, you told her uh, about Peter and the painkiller. Just as true as I live. And then there was a, a whole lot of talk about dragging the river for us and uh, about having a funeral Sunday. And then you and uh, old Miss Harper hugged and cried and uh, she went. It happened just so. Oh, it happened just so. As sure as I'm a-sitting in these very tracks. Tom, you couldn't have told it more like it if you hadn't seen it. And then what? Go on, Tom. Then I thought you prayed for me. Eh, eh, and I could see that you uh, hear every word you said. And then you went to bed. And I was so sorry that I took and wrote on a piece of sycamore bark, We ain't dead. We're only off being pirates. And put it on the table by the candle. And then you looked so good. <laughs> lying there asleep that I thought I went and leaned over and, and, and kissed you on the lips did you Tom did you I just forgive you everything for that and she seized the boy in a crushing embrace that made him feel like the guiltiest of villains it was very kind even though it was only a dream said soliloquied uh, just audibly uh, shut up, Sid. A body does just the same in a dream as you do if he is awake. Here's a big millum apple I've been saving for you, Tom. If you was ever found again, uh, now go long to school. I'm thankful that the good God and Father of us all uh, got you back. That's long-suffering and merciful to them to uh, believe on him and, and keep his word, though goodness knows I'm unworthy of it. But if only the worthy ones got his blessings and, and had his hand to help them over the rough places. There's few enough would smile here or ever enter into the rest when the long night comes. Go along, said Mary, Tom. Take yourselves off. Eh, you've hindered me long enough. The children left for school and the old lady to call Miss Harper and vanquish her realism with Tom's marvelous dream. Sid had better judgment uh, than to utter the thought that was in his mind as he left the house. It was this. Eh, pretty thin. As long a dream as that. Without any mistakes in it. Eh, good point. What a hero Tom has become now. He did not go skipping and prancing, but he moved with a dignified swagger as become a pirate who felt that the public eye was on him. And indeed it was. He tried not to see him, uh, to see the looks or hear the remarks as he passed along, but they were food and drink to him. Smaller boys, uh, then himself, flocked at his heels, as proud to be as seen with him and tolerated by him as if he had been the drummer at the head of a procession or the elephant leading a menagerie in the town. Boys of his own size pretended not to know he had been away at all, but they were consuming with envy nevertheless. They would have given anything to have that swarthy, suntanned skin of his and his glittering notoriety. And Tom would have parted with uh, either for a circus. At school, the children made so much of him and Joe and delivered such eloquent admiration from their eyes that the two heroes were not long in becoming insufferably stuck up. They began to tell their adventures to hungry listeners. But they only began, it is a thing likely to have an end with an imagination like theirs to furnish material and finally when they got out their pipes and were serenely puffing around the very summit of glory was reached Tom decided that he could not uh, be independent of Becky Thatcher now 
Glory was sufficient. He would live for glory. Now that he was distinguished, maybe she would be wanting to, quote, make up. Well, let her. She would see that he could be as indifferent as some other people. Presently, she arrived, and Tom pretended not to see her. He moved away and joined a group of boys and girls began to talk. Soon, he observed that she was tripping gaily back and forth with flushed face and dancing eyes, pretending to be busy chasing with schoolmates. Oh, and screaming with laughter when she made her capture. But he noticed that she always made her captures in his vicinity and that she seemed to uh, cast a conscious eye in his direction. At such times, too, it gratified all the vicious vanity that was in him. And so, instead of winning him, it only, quote, set him up. The more and he made him more diligent to avoid betraying what he knew that she was about. Presently, she gave over to skylarking and moved irresolutely about, irresolutely about, <laughs> sighing once or twice and glancing furtively, wistfully toward Tom. Then she observed that now Tom was talking more particularly to Amy Lawrence than to anyone else. She felt a sharp pang and grew disturbed and uneasy at once. Uh, she tried to go away, but her feet were treacherous and carried her uh, to the group instead. She said to a girl, almost at Tom's elbow, uh, with sham vivacity, oh, Mary Austin, uh, you bad girl, why didn't you come to Sunday school? I did come. Didn't you see me? I know. Did you? Uh, where'd you sit? I was in Miss Peter's class, where I always go. I saw you. Did you? Uh, why, funny, I didn't see you. I wanted to tell you about the picnic. Oh, well, that's jolly. Who's going to give it? My ma is going to let me have one. Oh, goody. I hope she'll let me come. Well, she will. The picnic's for me. She'll let anybody come that I want. And I want you. Oh, that's ever so nice. Uh, when's it going to be? Uh, by and by, maybe about vacation. Oh, won't it be fun? You going to have all the girls and boys? Ah, uh, yes. Everyone that's friends to me, or, uh, you know, wants to be. And she glanced over ever so furtively at Tom. Then he talked right along to Andy Lawrence about the terrible storm on the island and how the lightning tore the great sycamore tree, uh, all the flinders. Well, he was standing within three feet of it. Oh, may I come, said Grace Miller. Yes. And me, said Sally Rogers. Yes. And me too, said Susie Harper and Joe. Yes. And so on, with clapping and joyful hands, till all the group had begged for invitations but Tom and Amy. Then Tom, I too turned coolly away, still talking, and took Amy with him. Becky's lips trembled, and the tears came to her eyes. She hid these signs with a forced gaiety and went on chattering. But the life had gone out of the pic uh, picnic now, and out of everything else. She got away as soon as she could and hid herself and had what her sex call, quote, a good cry. <laughs> Weirdly, it's still a term used today. Then she sat moody and wounded pride. Till the bell rang. She roused up, now with a vindictive cast in her eye, and she gave her plated tails a shake and said she knew what she'd do, uh, in italics. At recess, uh, Tom continued his flirtation with Amy with jubilant self-satisfaction. He kept drifting about to find Becky and lacerate her with, her, uh, with the performance. At last, he spied her. 
there was a sudden falling of his, uh, of his mercury. She was sitting cozily on a little bench behind the schoolhouse looking at a picture book with, the Alfred, with Alfred Temple. And so absorbed were they, and their heads so close together over the book, that they did not seem to be uh, conscious of anything in the world besides. You can tell I'm getting upset by this because I'm reading it weird. Jealousy ran red hot through Tom's veins. He began to hate himself for throwing away the chance Becky had offered for a reconciliation. He, he called himself a fool and all the hard names he could think of. He wanted to cry with vexation, and Amy chatted happily along as they walked, for her heart was singing. But Tom's tongue had lost its function. He did not hear what Amy was saying, and whenever she paused expectantly, he could only stammer an awkward assent, which was as often misplaced as otherwise. Ah, he kept drifting to the rear of the schoolhouse again and again uh, to sear his eyeballs with a hateful spectacle there, but he could not help it. And it maddened him to see, as he thought he saw, that Becky Thatcher never once suspected that he was even in the, in the land of the living. But she did see, nevertheless. Oh, and she knew she was winning her fight, too, and was glad to see him suffer as uh, she had suffered. Amy's happy prattle became intolerable. Ah, Tom hinted at things he had to attend to, things that must be done, and the time was fleeting, but in vain. The girl, eh, uh, chirped on. Tom thought, ah, oh, hang her. Ain't I ever going to get rid of her? Then at last he must be attending to those things. And she said artlessly that she would be, quote, around when school let out. <laughs> artlessly <laughs> and then he hastened away hating her for it I'm actually really liking this guy's writing a lot any other boy Tom thought grating his teeth any boy in the whole town but that St. Louis smarty that thinks he dresses so fine in his aristocracy oh alright I licked you the first day you ever saw this town mister and I'll lick you again you just wait till I catch you out I'll just take and dash and he went through the motions of thrashing an imaginary boy, pummeling the air, kicking and gouging. Oh, do you? Do you? You holler enough, do you? Now then, let that learn you. And so the imaginary flogging was finished uh, to his satisfaction. Tom uh, fled home at noon. His conscience could not endure any more of Amy's grateful happiness. and His jealousy could no more bear of the other distress. Becky resumed her picture inspections with uh, Alfred, with the minutes dragged along. And no Tom came to suffer. Her triumph began to cloud, and she lost interest. Gravity and absent-mindedness followed, and then melancholy. Two or three times she pricked up her ear at a footstep, but it was a false hope. No Tom came. At last she grew entirely miserable and wished she hadn't carried it so far. When poor Alfred, uh, seeing that he was losing her, he did not know now how, but kept exclaiming, Oh, oh, here's a, a jolly one. Look at this. She lost patience at last and said, Oh, don't bother me. I don't care for them. And burst into tears and got up and uh, walked away. Alfred dropped alongside and was going to try and comfort her. He said, Go away. Uh, leave me alone, can't you? I, I hate you. So the boy halted. Wondered what he could have done and for she had said that she would uh, look at pictures all through the nooning and walked on crying. Then Alfred went musing into the deserted schoolhouse. He was humiliated and angry. 
He easily guessed his way to the truth. The girl had simply made a convenience of him to vent her spite upon Tom Sawyer. He was far from hating Tom. Nevertheless, when his thought occurred to him, he wished there was some way to get that boy in trouble without much risk to himself. Tom's spelling book fell under his eye. Here was his opportunity. He gratefully opened to the lesson for the afternoon and poured ink upon the page. Becky, glancing in at a window behind him at the moment, saw the act and moved on without discovering her herself. She started homeward now, intending to find Tom and tell him. Tom would be thankful and their troubles would be healed. Before she was halfway home, however, she had changed her mind. The, the thought of Tom's treatment of her when she was talking about her picnic came scorching back and filled her with shame. She resolved to let him get whipped on the damaged spelling book's account and to hate him forever into the bargain. Ah, love. When you feel love for another person, you trust them, you're lured in closer, and you open yourself to them, and you kind of give them everything, the embarrassing stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff. And if they continue to love you anyways, then it's, uh, you know, an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's not all completely self-centered. You feel the other way about the other person. You accept them for their bad stuff and their good stuff and the embarrassing stuff and the parts you kind of roll your eyes and wish they wouldn't do anymore, but you still love them anyways. That's love. And what makes love uh, hurt is when you've opened yourself up to somebody else completely in uh, such a manner and then they reject you on some level. Uh, you're not good enough in some way or I expected more from you in some fashion. Uh, or I just don't like this about you. And so you've opened yourself up to a person, and then they, they more or less reject you, and, and it hurts, and it's natural that when it hurts, you want to get vengeful. Uh, some people get vengeful in the way of uh, just saying, screw that person. Uh, sucks to them. They're an asshole. Uh, in other ways, uh, you get weird, creepy perverts that stand outside ex-girlfriends' houses at night and look through their windows. Uh, I have been hurt by people, and I have hurt other people. And uh, it's apparently just the nature of love. When you reach a point where you realize this isn't good, it hurts the other person who's got their hopes up, whether it's me or I've done it to somebody else. Uh, the point is, uh, this is a dance that's been going on for forever. For all of mankind. And uh, we're told that it's better to have experienced this than to have never experienced it at all. Though, so, you know, really you're just uh, getting hurt or you're hurting people. It doesn't seem like it's such a great little journey. Why is something you got to be a part of? I don't know. Um, Tom experienced this when being rejected by Becky and he got hurt. And one of his responses was to go be a pirate. Which, if I would have known that when I got my heart broke one time, uh, I might have tried that. Go be a pirate. Yeah, but, you know, it's too late now. I've got a house and whatever. But uh, so, uh, but then he does it. And uh, his secret wasn't the greatest secret. He basically told everyone the truth about what they did. 
uh, and everyone seemed okay with it. So as far as Mark Twain's writing goes, where I really enjoy his writing a lot, uh, more than I did back when I read this in junior high, uh, this is one kind of weird little spot in the story where it's like, eh, not really. Uh, that, that people would hear like, oh, we thought you were dead and you just were off playing pirate. And then most people say, screw you and be mad at him and never talk to him again. But I guess the secret of the lie being that he experienced this uh, dream or whatever. Eh, it seems a little weak, but I'll give him a pass because everything else about this book, except for the racism, has been fantastic. Uh, but then he gets his chance to turn the tables on Becky. Now he's the most popular boy and oh, she's trying to get his attention. Uh, and he's ignoring her because he, he kind of likes to know that she's in pain. And I think we've all experienced that uh, back in elementary school. And uh, But she turns the tables on him, and so now he's in pain. And then she wants to reach out to him by saying, Hey, I know what happened to your, your lesson book. As this jerk pour, poured ink all over it. And then she's like, You know what? No, he hurt my feelings. So it's the, uh, the back and forth, the constant tennis-like game of love. How do I apply this to what I said earlier? Uh, I trusted my cat. I opened myself up to my cat. I gave my cat an opportunity to be in the basement and be my basement podcasting buddy. But he screwed me over. He threw a, a dead mouse at me. And I can never forgive that. Hit the basically rejecting me, saying this is what I think of you. Here's a petrified mouse. That sucks to you. I don't care about you. And so now my feelings are hurt, and I am vengeful. And I'm sure the cat's going to find a way to hurt my feelings and turn the tables on me, but uh, in the meantime, I have the upper hand. He's up there meowing, scratching at the door, while I'm down here recording a podcast. Well, in either case, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I hope to see you uh, later. <laughs>